Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Hey, it's Rebecca. Today I am here with author Fred Bellacci, and we are talking about his book, which is in its second edition, and that book is The Restaurant Diet. And the topic of today's podcast, we are going to be talking about childhood obesity. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And um, we'll just start from the very beginning. Absolutely. Well, everything's got to start at the beginning. And of course, my issues with weight started in childhood. I grew up in a uh, family of uh, Italian-American gourmet cooks in New York, and uh, there was more food than we knew what to do with. I mean, Tuesday night was like a holiday. Holidays were just like off the wall. The food was delicious. Everybody, my mom, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody, they were great cooks. Uh, my great-grandparents' house had three kitchens, one on each floor, and they really needed them. They used them. It was a great way to grow up, but I didn't, I didn't think there was anything unusual or different or wrong. It was kind of like my big fat Greek wedding when I first went to school and saw the other kids eating peanut butter and jelly. And it's like, I was going with like a Tupperware things with meatballs and uh, roasted peppers and, 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 and you name it, the leftover lasagna. So my life was definitely different, but uh, my issues with food really began when my parents got divorced when I was five. I uh, watched my dad overeat by standing in front of the refrigerator often in the middle of the night, just eating whatever was there. I mean, with his bare hands. I mean, it was, he knew better, but it was a compulsive form, a, a addictive behavior. I mean, emotional overeating. I mean, he didn't, wasn't hungry. I mean, he was hungry for other things. And I, I ended up following in his footsteps. I mean, between, genetically and just uh, environmentally being exposed to this. I was an only child and when my parents got divorced, I was lost. I didn't know where to turn. I was the only kid with divorced parents in a small private school on Long Island and really couldn't identify or relate to anybody. I felt ashamed and I felt different. So the only thing that remained the same after the divorce was everybody still liked to cook and everybody still liked to eat. So I basically embraced this, mimicked what I saw and continued to eat, but ended up eating way more than I needed to. So by the fifth grade, so middle school, I'd become the fattest kid in school, like well over 200 pounds. So for like an 11 year old, that's pretty big. I stood out like a sore thumb and became picked on. I was bullied, physically abused in school by older boys. Our school went from like kindergarten through 12th grade. So like some of like the upperclassmen, I mean, we'd be like sharing some of the same hallways and like gym lockers and whatever else. And I mean, they would actually come and like squeeze my breasts and like, you know, torture me, you know, and, and laugh at, you know, my name became Fat Fred. So I hated school. I hated my life, hated myself. And my parents and families were too busy fighting to really do anything about it. And I mean, these are, these are scars that remain to this day that the kind of treatment and abuse and stuff that went on in school. And, and I, I deal with a lot of families and children that are dealing with weight and food issues in my own coaching business and uh, speaking business today. And really, I tell people that 
overeating in children, if there's, you know, if they're 20 pounds overweight or if there's some sort of issue going on, it's a sign or a symptom of some possibly serious problems. And I mean, we've seen it all. I mean, anything from physical abuse, like I experienced sexual abuse. I mean, really bad stuff. And it really needs to be dealt with early on. Otherwise it becomes an even more serious problem. I mean, I was maybe, you know, 50, 60 pounds overweight as a middle schooler and dealing with some pretty awful stuff, but this ended up ballooning, yo-yo dieting my way through, through life, through middle school, high school. I mean, I ended up losing a lot of weight when it was time to move to, we moved to Florida when I was 13 to start high school. I, I lost like 50 pounds in three months. I went on like a starvation diet. I went to the library I and mean, they didn't have internet back then or any way to look up any, anything else or anywhere else to turn. I didn't tell anybody. I mean, I didn't even know that anybody would even care. I mean, I was just the fat kid. My family basically written off, okay, he's going to be fat like his father or, you know, food issues like that uncle or that one or whomever. And, you know, it's just inevitable and they were busy with their own stuff. So I took it upon myself, like, okay, a, a, a geographical change was what I needed. It was like a perfect opportunity to remake myself and leave Fat Fred behind in New York. So lost all this weight in three months, starved myself, hated it. And this was like my first diet and exercise by steaming up the bathroom and running in place like at night until I like nearly collapsed. I mean, I lost, I mean, literally sweat, sweated the pounds off. I mean, I, I nearly passed out in school. My grades suffered and it was really, these were all cries for help. And I, and kids I deal with and families today, I mean, this, this certainly had or has the potential to go the opposite extreme anorexia, bulimia, and People, kids especially, are so prone to peer pressure and body shaming and body image and like you gotta look like like you're a model in a magazine cover and people or whatever. I mean, and, and that's not realistic. I mean, everything teaches us to be competitive and to compete, look outside ourselves and, and not love ourselves. I mean, love myself, I hated myself. I hated my body, hated my looks, hated everything that there was, hated that I knew I was eating too much and I couldn't stop unless I like went on some crazy, ridiculous regimen, lost the weight, and still felt empty and lost as I was before, even though I moved to Florida to a sunny new place where everybody was friendly. Nobody knew anything about this fat kid back in New York or what I went through. And I didn't know how to be a teenager or how to live life. Unfortunately, I didn't become anorexic or bulimic, and I mean, other kids become suicidal or alcohol or drugs or, I mean, just really horrible stuff happens. And I mean, it really goes back to like a lack of, a lack of self-love, a lack of guidance, a lack of acceptance. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a family thing. I mean, a family that eats together and stays together ends up raising better kids. I mean, I'm not a dad yet, but I certainly know from my own experience and people I talk to and coach and and how I would how I would correct this how I would do this differently is to make time to eat with your children and see what's going on and if there is an issue like a minor weight problem that you know it's it's time to start asking questions maybe get counseling nutritional as well as emotional if there may be something major going on that this is just a child crying for help this is not a bad kid this is not an unlovable or unlikable kid this is this is a kid who is using food, perhaps, as opposed to alcohol, drugs, or other things, because food is readily available and, you know, pretty 
socially acceptable. I mean, a kid doesn't have to show an ID to go down and buy a slice of pizza or Coca-Cola like they do cigarettes or uh, jewel products or alcohol or it's not illegal like drugs. I mean, so food is a very readily accessible substance that kids use. And it's often, and we talk about gateway drugs, food is often a gateway drug for people, kids with emotional issues and stories of backgrounds of abuse and other bad things going on that this is how it manifests. This is how it first shows up. And it's easy to miss because, okay, half of our population is overweight. I mean, the, the, the numbers are staggering. I mean, that's why it's such an important conversation. I'm, I'm glad we're having it. And you say you were an only child, but say, for example, um, and I know you do coaching, so I'm sure you've had this experience where um, maybe there's one kid out of a group of siblings and only one of them is overweight. Um, and the parents, you know, maybe they're getting help from you. What, what do you say to parents who have a child and they can't understand why they're overweight? I've seen a number of cases where there could be two siblings, for instance, and one could be obese and the other one could be literally like a toothpick mm -hmm. and it's really going the opposite way on the eating disorder spectrum and there are a lot of reasons and they really go back to i mean i've seen everything i mean without naming names or go, giving away any confidences i mean people that parents are involved in things like affairs or scandals or you know broken homes or you know stuff like that and the kids are just acting it out there could mm -hmm. be abuse. I mean, a father or an uncle or a grandparent or a neighbor or somebody could be abusing one of the kids and not the other one. So it's like the skinny one could be the one being abused and the fat one is making themselves fat because it's like, okay, well, they won't touch me if I'm like, you know, 100 pounds overweight. Just, mm -hmm. just a, for instance. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I see. It could be and anything really, couldn't it? Yeah. And so any kind of insecurity could possibly, I mean, because sometimes I feel like I've seen cases where there's a seemingly, air quotes, perfect family, right. um, no divorce, you know, mom and dad are ha happily married, um, as far as everyone can see, and the child um, is maybe overweight and their siblings are not. I mean, there could be any number of mental health problems or anything contributing to it. Then again, there can also be actual physical health problems that can contribute as Absolutely. well. I mean, I've dealt with people that have hormonal imbalances and things like that, things that they really couldn't control, but that could be controlled or addressed medically. And really, if a child is experiencing things like being overweight, whether it's a few pounds or more than that, I mean, annual physicals and encouraging your child to be open and honest and not sweep things under the rug, is very important. I mean, having talks with your children about things like food and relationships, the birds and the bees and medical and how they're feeling and how their day was and knowing who their friends are and being involved in the school and the extracurriculars and all the activities, meeting the other parents. It's, it's, it, it's just an entire web and it, 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 it's so many aspects involved to being a parent in this day and age where, I mean, we all have we all have these little devices that I mean you have access to the entire world and the entire world has access to you, should you give your kid access to that? And I mean it's just things move at lightning speed and I mean potentially anybody any information or misinformation 
things that you may not want your kid exposed to has access to your kids. So right. more involved, we as adults, as parents, I mean, me being someone who's gone through and lived through, you know, back in the 1980s and 90s as a kid growing up, I mean, it was a different time, but we could take a lot of what I learned from my upbringing and the people I'm working with now and helping that, I mean, the bottom line is to be involved. Exactly. And as a side note, uh, this is one reason why I am an advocate for using monitoring software on your computer, because if your child starts um, like searching for keywords like um, how to lose weight or um, how, how many calories can I survive on or these kind of things, that's kind of a, a red flag that parents yeah. can see what's going on, you know, with the kids. So I think that's another kind of a safety net to put in place is to know what your kids are looking for online. Absolutely. And giving them an example, I mean, cooking together, shopping together, eating out together, showing them good behavior. Mm -hmm. A balance of good foods. I mean, there should be salads and vegetables as well as a mixture of lean proteins and occasionally, I mean, like things like pasta or whatever. And I mean, on the table, I mean, there's, there should be a reason. Children should be raised and it should be explained to them why they're doing it and get them involved, get them in the kitchen, let them get their hands dirty, let them make things, make muffins, clean the vegetables, make a salad go to the farmer's market on a Saturday and really explore. I mean, it's such an important part of life. I mean, what we eat, I mean, we are what we eat. It's just everything. I mean, we raise kids today. I mean, the internet raises kids and parents are off doing what they're doing. I mean, maybe working because they have to pay bills or whatever, but uh, we really have to take, take a step back and, and uh, become more involved and more hands-on in general. I mean, in, children's lives and in our own lives. And, and uh, I like seeing how, I mean, people, myself included, people I work with are going back to a more old world mentality as far as how they eat, how they shop for food, buying local, buying fresh, and really making choices on a daily level as opposed to buying, I mean, mass quantities of stuff and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and looking for economies, but actually going out and, forging relationships with local merchants and farmers and artisans and dairies, et cetera, and finding the best, that there's so much good stuff out there. And there's really just a huge movement towards it now. And it's, it's mm -hmm. wonderful to see it. I mean, I kind of grew yeah. up, I grew up in, you know, born in the late seventies, grew up in the eighties. It was kind of like the end of it. And now it's, thank God it's come full swing. It's coming back. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's speaking my language, farmers markets and sourcing local foods. I love all of that kind of stuff. And I do think that as parents, a lot of times we get in a rush and I do have six kids, so I can speak from right. experience. You know, we get in a hurry and we want to do something fast. And especially I think where a family where both parents are working, it is a, a harder um, job to get you know, whole foods on the table, but it can be done. And I think it's something that we do need to make a priority. Um, and, you know, people need to slow down and just take their time with food and make that a bonding family activity. Because I mean, it's so much fun to spend time in the kitchen with your family. And I'm sure you have some good memories of Ooh, that. Yeah. Lots. I mean, 
I mean, there were so many good memories. And to this day, some of my favorite memories and times are in the kitchen. I mean, entertaining. We had wonderful times in the kitchen, wonderful times cooking, eating. And I've worked with a top chef in New York who actually endorsed my second book, Gabriel Kreiter. He's a Michelin star chef, comes from France. And he lost 60 pounds in two years, doing a lot of what I advocate, which really he saw was living a lot, a lot closer to the land and to the seasons and in harmony and really getting in touch with what your body needs. And he said, this is really the way we lived back in Europe. That mm -hmm. he came to the US maybe 25 or so years ago and became, you know, top who's a top chef and started working in New York City and just said it was just it just amazed him how the American culture was so different and it was it just so fast paced and the two biggest things that he noticed that were different than he really had to become conscious and just reteach himself in order to get healthier were one American in general eat much quicker <laughs> I mean like in Europe and France and Italy etc I mean a two or three hour lunch is not unheard of and maybe they do something light for dinner they go take a walk after lunch and they take a nap they go back to work and they have something light at night they eat their bigger meal mm -hmm. during the day and they don't just they don't just sit down and it's just like you know there's like a stopwatch like the Nathan's hot dog eating contest <laughs> in Coney Island hurry up and see if you can shove down 70 or 80 hot dogs or whatever it is clean your plate because someone's going to take it away from you I mean he's just like we just savor it we enjoy it and he said the second thing that really goes hand in hand with being able to sit you know for a couple hours and just save her meal is the portions are so much bigger in the United States I mean you get this huge bowl of whatever and then it's just like someone's got a stopwatch like hurry up and eat it he said in France everybody everybody's relaxed the portions are you know that I mean people make fun of French food and Nouvelle cuisine for being you know notoriously small and expensive and whatever else but it's I've been there many times and found that the portions were actually appropriate yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not, I mean, you're not, you're not walking home with, you know, three doggy bags of whatever. Right. It's just like you, you enjoyed the meal. You were, I mean, it was quality food, fresh, seasonal, local, whatever. I mean, everything came with a story and, and it was enjoyable. And then you, you got up and you left. You didn't have like, like, like lunch and dinner for the next five days. And I mean, many people with a history of eating problems, it's like, I was one of them. It's like, I'd order too much, I'd eat too much, and then I'd go home with too much and half the stuff wouldn't even last the night. I mean, in the refrigerator, I'd eat it, it's there. Not All a right. good thing. Yeah, I, I'm the same as you, I, I agree with that. I definitely notice a big difference when you're in um, Europe, the portion sizes are smaller and less food waste, really, if you think about it, if you get a, a adequate size portion of food, then um, you're not going to have anything left over to throw away. So in, in a way that also solves the problem of food waste. But switching kind of tracks now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, can you tell me about your the four phases in your book, The Restaurant Diet? Well, the four phases are really my way to take back my life. First phase is really called the beginning. We all start at the beginning. It was uh, necessary to have a complete medical workup. I mean, go to my doctor, make sure there was nothing else wrong. I mean, that I passed a stress test if I was going to start exercising. I mean, I'd become, you know, 330 pounds and a couch potato and, and 
just didn't want to be found on the side of the road and make sure that everything like hormones, cholesterol, all that stuff and everything, everything checked out. Okay. Like, okay. I was cleared to do some, you know, moderate exercise that I could possibly do. I mean, like walking or swimming. And as far as the food choices, phase one was really, it was time to get serious, to get accountable, send a uh, message to my body, shock the system, so to speak, that things were different, that I wasn't going to be eating whatever I wanted, that I was going to start to read menus, plan in advance, count calories, and figure out what my body needed. That, you know, if I could eat 1,500 or 2,000 calories a day, it's like I could eat it in brownies or I could eat it in a nice mixture of, you know, fruits, vegetables, protein, a couple of carbs, what I mean, whatever. And my diet really allowed me to make choices that were beneficial to me. I did work with a cardiologist, my doctor, a nutritionist, and a therapist, really get all the people involved and eventually a personal trainer, just to oversee and make sure that what I was doing was reasonable and would be beneficial. And sure enough, the weight started to come off. I didn't deprive myself. I like to drink wine. So I allowed myself a glass of wine with dinner six days a week. The seventh day, I typically did it on a Sunday because I was off. I made it a cleanse day, especially for phase one. And occasionally do a cleanse day now. I mean, just to kind of reset everything, I think it's really helpful. And I really feel better afterwards where it was really a lot of water, mineral water, tea, such as green tea, organic, um, smoothies, fruits, vegetables, really nothing, nothing solid for, for one day a week. And I really think that helps reset everything. I mean, we're talking after years of yo-yo dieting and eating, eating without accountability. I mean, we're probably four or 5,000 calories a day. I mean, I didn't really eat junk food. That was not my thing. I'm not really a sugar addict, but it was just time to get serious and do it my way. So that was, that was phase one. And I did phase one for two months. It was only two months. And that was, I was able to lose 10% of my body weight. So at the time it was 30 something pounds. And I did it through the holidays, which I know now we're approaching the holidays and people ask me all the time. It's like, you know, I really want to lose weight. I need to lose weight, you know, but the holidays are coming. It's like Thanksgiving is this week. And uh, like, you know, and then well, what about Christmas and New Year's and all this other stuff? And can I just, you know, start it with a New Year's resolution? And I'm like, you know, I started when I lost 150 pounds 10 years ago. I began it on November 1st. I mean, it just so happened I came to the awareness and the decision to do it. It was like back in September of that year and went to, decided to get all my ducks in a row and, you know, make peace with the idea and line up, you know, the medical tests and, and get advice on a good therapist and a good nutritionist to work with. And then it's just like, okay, November 1st, go, it's, it's time. Why wait till January and have to lose another 10 pounds like many people do? Mm-hmm. And instead of doing it as like a short-term means to an end, like I'm going to go go on a diet in January. You know, I overdid it during the holiday. So now it's like going to be like dry January or New Year's resolutions. Most of them go bust by Super Bowl and, you know, lose 20 pounds to look better for swimsuit season by Memorial Day or whatever. I'm like, no, this has got to be something that's going to last forever that I'm going to do. So I like to drink wine. So it's like, okay, you're not going to eliminate the wine. And I have people like, oh, I can't stand wine, but I like beer. It's like, okay, well, if you want a beer, have a beer instead. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. I mean, you shouldn't be deprived. I mean, don't drink a six pack. You're trying to be healthy. I mean, that's not healthy. But it's just like, go out and have, you can have steak, lobster, shrimp, fish, 
poultry. I mean, you go through the whole thing. I mean, it works for whether you're vegetarian, vegan, or not. Equal opportunity for anybody. And it's all about choices, whatever works right for your body. So, I mean, eliminating things like processed foods, artificial flavors, sugar wherever possible. I mean, it's like, it's not that you can't ever have dessert again, but it's just, if you're going to have sugar, I prefer natural sugar like fruits and honey and things like agave to refined sugar, but I'd rather have even sugar than artificial substitutes. Mm -hmm. So it's really looking at the quality over the quantity of everything. And then phase two, I was able to exercise more. I mean, I was able to walk considerably more and was able to reintroduce things like occasional pizza, pasta, desserts, and treats back into the diet, raise the calorie allowance. Did that for a couple of more months, lost another uh, 30 or so pounds. And then by that point, I was feeling much, much better. I'd lost like 60 pounds. I was feeling good. I was on a roll, really had no setbacks, no issues. I was going to the gym at this point. I was swimming. I was riding a bike, things that I hadn't done in years. I mean, I was too self-conscious to get in a bathing suit. I wouldn't want to be caught dead on a bicycle. I mean, walking just to get the mail was difficult. So now I was even jogging a little bit and back to playing a little bit of golf. And I'm just like, you know, this is kind of like what the rest of my life could look like. And this is kind of fun. And I'm feeling good. And I could introduce a few other things back into my diet and basically raise the calorie budget a little bit more as long as I keep consistent with the exercise and did that for another seven months, lost like 90 pounds more and just kept it going. Phase four is basically like, just like the continuation and it's truly anything in moderation. If moderation means like one serving, put your fork and knife utensils down in between bites chew your food, sip water in between, not obsess about it. I mean, if you can have it in your house and not obsess about it, it's fine. If it's something that you have a problem with, then I don't recommend having it. That's really the four phases. And I mean, if you, you get to a point when you're in phase four, which is really the maintenance phase, it's like you've achieved your goal. I mean, you've gotten to a reasonable body weight or body weight range. It's like, I look at it now as more than a number on a scale, but just like a healthy range that you want to be in. It's really how you feel, how your clothes fit. It's like, you know, you'll know. I mean, your ability to climb a flight of stairs or go out and swing a golf club or work in the yard. I mean, if, you, if you're feeling good about yourself and you're, you're at the right place, you'll know it. I mean, so it's just like, you don't have to weigh yourself every day and obsess. It's just if you're getting to the top end of your range, then maybe it's time to dial it back to an earlier phase for a while. Just mm -hmm. get it in check, going for a tune-up. And that's, that's really what it is. It's just getting in touch with our bodies, learning to listen to ourselves, learning to love ourselves and look for reasons why we overate external cues, maybe emotional. Maybe we had an argument or a bad day at work or we're sad. I mean, I, I struggled in the last 10 years, things like, death of a loved one, uh, breakups, things didn't go my way in business. I mean, frustrations. Uh, and of course, I mean, we, we, we're wired a certain way and we've done, we've used food for many, many years. So the default is to go back to food and, uh, you know, when we're, when we're having a hard time. And many people that are afraid to go back to food may go to other things. 
turn mm -hmm. to other substances, you know, alcohol, tobacco, drugs, you, you name it. I mean, any kind of compulsive addictive behavior to take themselves out of where they are because where they are is too difficult to tolerate. They just, people can't tolerate feeling the feelings of unhappiness or stress or anxiety or anger or depression. It's just like, these are all feelings and they're there for a reason. We have to work through them and it's just not stuff ourselves through them or medicate ourselves through them. So that's really, the four phases are really a realistic long-term recipe for successful, happy, healthier living. So the first book, The Restaurant Diet, How to Eat Out Every Night and Still Lose Weight is the four phases, a bit of my story and background and is a cookbook with recipes from 100 top restaurants nationwide, all with nutrition facts. Everything's been analyzed, comments and suggestions from the chefs themselves. 25 of my favorite recipes, a lot of them from my Italian-American background, but things that have been lightened up that I have perfected in my own kitchen, making things that without sacrificing flavor or quality that are a lot lighter and less calories and, and should be enjoyed. And the second edition just came out. It's uh, called The Restaurant Diet, A Spiritual Journey of Self-Discovery is really the story behind the story, how we can dive deep and we look within ourselves. We all have that in eternal, internal spark that drives us. And if we tap that, we can do whatever. We can lose 150 pounds. We could start a business. We could take a trip. We could build an empire. We could change our lives and we could positively impact the world if we just start looking within and liking and loving ourselves enough to really want to do so, enough to believe that we deserve better than what society or our parents or our peers or our siblings or our neighbors or our coworkers or whatever anybody else tells us we are or who we should be, whatever box they put us in, we can climb out of that. We all have the power. And that's, that's the message. Okay. So it's been about 10 years since you um, lost no, the weight. 10 years, so. 10 years, almost uh, 10 years, November 1st. So and so it's been sustainable. It's, it's something that actually works. And this is the difference between what I'm doing. I really don't call it a diet I went on. Mm -hmm. Diets to me are like what I did when I was 13 and tried between that point and up to the point that I was 30 years old, I try, I read practically every book there was, tried every program, shake, meal plan, pills, this, that, whatever, considered things like gastric bypass and lap band. I know people, I have clients that have actually done that and it worked for them. It wasn't the way I wanted to do it. Like I decided trying all the things that didn't work, like I had to learn to make peace with food. Food wasn't something that I could just give up. It's unlike any other addiction. It's the hardest addiction to deal with because unlike alcohol, drugs, tobacco, whatever else it is, you don't need those things. Your body may be actually physically crave them at some point or become dependent on them and you may in your mind think you need them, but there's not many things that you actually really need to live. Food, air, and water are three of those things. I mean, we can mm -hmm. maybe add in fourth thing, we need to be able to relate with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than that, I mean, what do we really need to sustain life on this planet? In our well, that's body? a good point. And, and you, I know you said uh, at one point in your book, you said I had to stop making excuses and enabling myself to do things that weren't good for me. And diets don't teach and encourage love. And I no. thought that was a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely true. 
most diets are what I would call a short-term means to an end. Like mm -hmm. anybody could lose weight. And I looked at diets, trying whatever it was. It's like, okay, I'm going to try this. I, I, I need to or want to lose 25 pounds, say. And I want to do it an X amount of time. So I'm going to follow whatever plan it is. Like I'd never do this forever. It's like, this is just like, you know, a short-term means to an end. Like they say anybody could tolerate anything for 24 hours or, you know, maybe maybe three weeks or two months or, 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 or whatever. But it's just like, you're already setting yourself up for failure or relapse. It's like anybody could do whatever. I mean, crackers and water for a month. I, I mean, you could do that. I mean, I went to two top residential weight loss treatment centers, kind of like the dieters equivalent of detox. I mean, one, I mean, these places are thousands of dollars a week. And I know many people who have gone many, many, many times. So it's like, okay, so they lose weight there. But then what happens? Why do they go back? Why are they back, back and forth, back and forth? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, every, you know, a couple of times a year or annually or every couple of years, it's like they gain the weight back because what they taught them there isn't realistic. I went to this place in Miami and they're telling us, I mean, they give us a, a, a menu and it's like a four ounce piece of grilled chicken and, you know, salad and, and some veggies. The only seasonings allowed are sodium-free Mrs. Dash and Tabasco sauce. There's no oil, there's no vinegar, there's no salt, there's no pepper, there's no lemon. It's like, who the heck is going to eat like this? I mean, <laughs> nobody. I mean, whether 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 you're you're a gourmand, a gourmand like I am, or you just you just eat eat like a you know in normal restaurants or just a regular cook, whatever, <laughs> wherever, whatever you're used to eating. I don't know anybody who's going to eat like that. So I sit down in this beautiful, I mean, that's a nice restaurant setting. They have tablecloths and china and, 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 and the silverware and candles and everything else. And, you know, so I order from this, this horrible looking menu. And so this is the first night there. I'm there for a week. Just, just, you know, I felt like an undisciplined failure from you know, every other diet that had gone bust. So I figured I had to go to some residential place and try. So, all right, so I'm, I'm going to do it. So I asked for a wine list. Everybody in the room starts laughing. It's like, what? What's the joke? So somebody comes over. There's no, there's no wine allowed in our program. So obviously all the other people had either read all the materials and many of them I learned this is like their fifth or their 18th time there. So it's like they all know very well you can't drink wine. But then guess what? You do this for a week or two and you go home, you start drinking wine again and boom. You eat whatever, you don't eat like four ounce piece of grilled chicken and you don't use sodium free Mrs. Dash and Tabasco. I mean. You start with your olive oil and your balsamic and your lemon. Not those things are bad. And then what really started the restaurant diet was I went to a top facility like a year or two later in North Carolina. And I decided I was going to take a month off from my life. I was still at like 330 pounds. I'd been diagnosed with sleep apnea. I was pre-diabetic. Like I was like 28 years old. I was my doctor said, you're going to die. Like if you don't get it, if, if you don't do something, you're going to die. I know every diet you've tried hasn't worked. And I'm like, there has to be something they have to, there's got to be something there. So it's like, so I go looking for, looking for like this, this miracle cure, this, this, uh, the secret to success, something, some tasty morsel that I could like sink my teeth into that somebody knows something out there that they just, I just haven't, I, I just haven't found yet. 
and they and and maybe they maybe they'll share it with me there. So I go and it's uh, a different setting than than the one Miami was much more upscale. Um, the funny thing about Miami was I did it for a week. I mean I, I resisted the urge to go out. I mean a lot of people they fall off the wagon, they get in the cab, they go to the nearby mall. I lost six pounds there in a week. Hated every minute of it. Gained back the six pounds in three days going out to eat and just like making up for lost time. So I go to North Carolina, trying it. I'm like, I'm desperate. Like, I'm, I'm going to do the program. And it's like, all right, you have to get everything approved by a nutritionist and you're working with a doctor and you're working with a trainer. I'm like, that's all great. I need to do all this stuff. And you go to a buffet line to eat. And it's like a cafeteria. And it's not like any cafeteria you've ever been to. It's like you hand them what your nutritionist approved for you to eat. And they put together a plate from the other side of the buffet. So you could look at all this stuff. Not that, not that much of it looked good, but there's like maybe 50 choices behind there. And it's like, you can get like a taste of five or six little, little bites of this stuff. And you're looking there like, you're like starving. And it's like, it doesn't even look good. And it's like, they put together this plate that looks like something that you'd see like maybe at a high school cafeteria. And it's like, this is what we're supposed, like, this is what we're supposed to eat you know, then go back and have like an iced tea and like a plastic cup. It's like, what are we, what are we, 16? So I did it for a week. I lost five pounds there. And I laughed because we stayed at a place. It's like the dormitory for, I don't know what it's like there now. This is, you know, 12 years ago, but there'd be knocks in the door, like down the hall, like, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And people would hear, you hear the knocks on the door. It'd be like Domino's or some pizza. Place <laughs> oh, no. People fall off the wagon. It's just because it's so unrealistic. So I decided, all right. I mean, they had the internet back then. So I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be a better way. So I'm like, of course, obsessing about what I'm not eating. And I'm like, I'm in this place in North Carolina. So I go online and just like I would when I go anywhere. Like I love to travel, love to eat. I love to find new restaurants. We plan trips around a, a particular restaurant reservation. I did it, we did it growing up and I do it to this day. So I'm like, if I was in this town, not on a diet at this place, what's there to eat here? Like, is there any place that I'd want to check out? So I go online and look and uh, there's an Italian restaurant that seemed, seemed pretty good. Like any Italian restaurant I would go to back home or any place else I'd want to check out a Japanese sushi place that looked good. I enjoyed that. And uh, a Brazilian steakhouse with a salad bar and all, you know, slices of meat and whatever. And I'm like, all right. I said, let's, let's make a deal here. I said, I'm going to do breakfast and lunch at the cafeteria this week. And I'm going to try each of these restaurants one night for dinner, sticking to my calorie budget, making reasonable choices and allowing myself a glass of wine if I want it. I'd walk there, it's like a mile there, that'll be my exercise and walk back. And so I went, I went to the Italian restaurant. I, I, I told them what I was doing. I asked them, you know, I said, please don't, please don't call and report me as like the escaped inmate from the place down the road. And, and, and everybody's laughing. Like I said, has this ever happened? They said, well, actually nobody's ever admitted it if they were here from the facility down the road. But everybody got a kick out of it, and the chef came out, and the owner, and then this is this is kind of what I did. I got a lot of applause for it, and like I said, don't bring me the bread basket. Don't tell me about dessert. I want a glass of wine. Don't report me to them down there. It's like, <laughs> so yeah, I was MIA at dinner time for that entire week. I did it at the Italian place, did it at the Japanese place, ordered some sashimi. I ordered a nice ginger salad, a miso soup, had a glass of wine or whatever, and. Uh, did the same thing at the Brazilian place and, and uh, 
repeated it in the next the next four nights just kept kept to these places and, and made reasonable choices engaged my servers read the menu figured out what i was going to have in advance and lo and behold i lost five pounds that week i'm like hmm could be onto something so i'm like all right i wasn't ready to like take the training wheels off yet and go home but I decided, okay, I'm gonna try this for another week and let's see what happens. Doing the exact same thing, breakfast and lunch at the place and go to dinner, just keeping it to these three restaurants. I wasn't so sure of myself at this point, like I could do it and, and you know, in a restaurant setting with real food and real people. And sure enough, I lost another five pounds the second, the second week of trying it. So I'm like, okay, why am I spending all this money to be there? I think I figured it out. Now I can go home and we could put this into action. So that's really, that was really the basis of the restaurant diet. So I began to do this when I started back in November of 2009 at a lot of my favorite local restaurants. And I had to reintroduce myself to the people, the chefs, the waiters, waitresses, the owners. And I was one of their best customers at a lot of these places. I ate enough for three or four people myself. And I tipped based on that. So I was always afraid like, Oh my God, they're going to think I'm like this big pain in the neck. And like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's become cheap and, you know, he like, he thinks he's going to lose weight. Yeah, 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 sure. So I had to, I had to retrain these people and teach them like, okay, like I'm serious. I'm, I'm looking to get healthy and lose weight. So please help me make them want to help you. That's what I tell my clients. That's what I talk about in my book about restaurant dieting app tips. So tell them what you're doing plan in advance, make them want to help you. Don't be that pain in the neck customer. You know, I mean, yeah, it's okay to ask for everything, you know, things on the side and make reasonable modifications, but just do it in a nice, pleasant way. Mm -hmm. I mean, be firm. I mean, when necessary, it's like, no, please don't tell me about the 12 layer chocolate cake. You know, when they continue to like, like, like oh, but it's right. so delicious and the chocolate is from Germany or whatever. And it's like, no, no, mm -hmm. no, 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 I hear this. If you could go back, do you think you could tell your childhood self that you're worth it, that, you know, I mean, do you think you could like somehow make yourself feel that worth that you now know you have and that helps you to make these better choices? Absolutely. I mean, and this is, this is key. I mean, it's critical to raising healthy, productive kids is to, is to give them that support, that nourishment, that nurturing, that love and that acceptance. I mean, life is going to throw curveballs and, and, Parents are going to go through tough times. I mean, well, it could be a job loss, it could be a divorce, it could be could be any number of things. But to be able to keep the kids out of it and talk to your kids if they're old enough, but not bring them in or make them feel in any way responsible. That child needs to be supported and nurtured and loved and really shown a healthy way of living and eating and told that they're okay, whatever they are. I mean, okay, they may not be the fastest kid on the track team. You did your best. I mean, that's what, okay, you got, you got a 95 on the spelling bee. Okay, so you missed, you missed the question. It's like, you did your best, like, good for you. I mean, you know, even if, you know, we're we're not we're, we're not perfect. Okay, I come home with I come home with a D or an F on something. Okay, what went wrong? Let's let's work on this. You know, not you're a failure. You need to be punished. I mm -hmm. mean, you're overweight or you you screwed up on a test or your team lost a 
you know, the, the championship game or whatever in sports, it's like, okay, there's something to be learned. And sometimes you learn more from the challenges and when things don't go well or when you do make a mistake or you do quote unquote fail or maybe not come in first place than, than when everything's easy. And, and that's teaching kids, that's, that's life. I mean, that not everything's always gonna go smoothly, but that they're okay, that what's going on outside of them isn't really who they are. And if they're unhappy or there are issues inside that they need to, we need to deal with them as a family, that it's okay to talk, that it's safe to talk to us, that you should talk to us if mm -hmm. there's something going on. All right. I think that's really important for parents to understand. I think sometimes it is an emotional thing. And, and if a parent takes the time to explore all of these different possibilities and they can't find anything, um, then the next step would definitely be to see a doctor and um, find out if there's something physical going on. And like you did, um, get a therapist because um, basically, you, I mean, you're saying that you realize that most of your weight problem was your lack of love for yourself or right. just the suffering that you were going through and not being able to kind of pull yourself out of that. But now having a therapist and going through all of this and finding that balance and finding how to take care of yourself and give yourself that love, you've been able to sustain this and other people can as well. Exactly. That's really the message is that if I could do it, anyone can do it. And that underneath every overweight or unhappy or addicted person, there is someone who really needs to be taken by the hand, nurtured, loved, and shown that there's a better way. And that it really starts by looking inside, peeling back those layers. I mean, I liken it to peeling an onion. I mean, the layers of fat or whatever it is, the addictions, they start to melt off, melt away, and they subside. And they leave behind a likable person, a, a decent, lovable person who now has an opportunity to go out and do and be things that they never before dreamed could be possible and share this with the world. I mean, there's so much negativity and nonsense out there that the more positivity and, and self-affirming choices that we can make, the better. Where can people get in touch with you at? Uh, find me on my website, www.mynameisfredbalacci, F-R-E-D-B-O-L-L-A-C-I, Enterprises, mm -hmm. fredbalacciaenterprises.com. I'm available on Facebook, Fred Balacci Enterprises, Instagram, Fred Balacci Enterprises, as well <laughs> as Twitter. I, am, I, I do private culture, uh, coaching as well as uh, motivational speaking and have several slots open for new coaching clients going into the holidays could be a great holiday gift for uh, yourself or someone you love get into new year new you 2020 new decade new year's resolution and let me help you take you to the next level i mean it's way more than simply losing weight but i could help you get to discover a whole new life a whole new you that you never dreamed possible i've actually been blessed to help hundreds of people lose thousands of pounds over the past six years since starting my company and hope to continue to do a lot more. Best way that I can keep what I've got is to share it and to pay it forward. And that's really my mission. That's why I'm here doing this. Awesome. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much as well. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please write and review so other people can learn about this podcast. 
find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.